you'd open your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 9. In a tribulation passage in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking about God's prophetic program with the nation Israel. And he's particularly singling out the things that would precede him coming to reign as king. And he says, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. That abomination of desolation is described in the 27th verse of this context. What this teaches us is there is a very special passage of scripture that deals with prophecy in the book of Daniel that God's people need to carefully understand. This particular passage Jesus is referring to is right here. It's Daniel 9, 24 to 27. When he says, let the reader understand, that tells us this isn't going to be simplistic. There's going to be depth in this text. And as you'll see, that's certainly true. This passage of scripture has been called the backbone of prophecy. This portion of scripture is, as one writer said, rich with meaning both personal and prophetic. Dr. John Wolvard, who made a lifetime study of prophecy, said that the concluding verses of this ninth chapter of the book of Daniel are one of the most important prophecies in the entire Old Testament. And if I could sum up for us what Daniel is saying in this prophecy, it is simply this. God's program with his nation Israel will eventually end with his righteous king reigning in total righteousness and Israel will be esteemed as the nation of God. But before all of that happens, there will be a specific time of terrible trouble in which Israel will face a destructive and vicious antichrist. Now the context of this prophecy we've been discussing in the past weeks. Daniel was praying because he'd been reading the book of Jeremiah and he had realized that that 70-year captivity time was just about over. He apparently thought the Messiah would come to bring Israel out of that captivity and perhaps establish the kingdom. That apparently was in the back of his mind when he was praying. However, what he would learn in this particular prophetic teaching is that the Messiah is just not coming just yet. They are going to get out of their bondage to the Babylonians. But the program of God would feature a massive time frame and then the Messiah would come and then ultimately he would reign. Now we may recall that the context of all of this, chapter 9 verse 1, was the first year of Darius, 538 to 537 B.C. Daniel is reading that book of Jeremiah and he realizes that the 70 year captivity which Jeremiah prophesied was just about over. Now, the reason for this specific prophecy of 70 years, and it's been a number of weeks since we've studied this, but I want to bring it to our minds because this is so critical. The reason why there was this penalty of 70 years captivity was due to the fact that Israel had neglected 70 sabbatical years of rest. Now, we saw that from 2 Chronicles. According to Levitical law, every seventh year was to be a sabbatical year of rest and worship to the Lord God of Israel. When Israel was in the land, she was to cease from her work every seventh year and just basically rest and worship God. Israel had missed 70 of these rest years. She had missed 70 of these things. 70 times 7, that's what she had missed. So God put Israel in captivity for 70 years, something that he specifically predicted that he was going to do. But God also said that if Israel would repent, he would lift the judgment. And that is what prompted Daniel to pray. 
Daniel was praying that Israel would repent. He was confessing his sin. He was confessing the nation's sin. And he was asking God to lift the judgment. When he saw the 70-year period of captivity was just about up, he did the math and he said, boy, oh boy, we can get out of this thing. Now, the thing that I want you to understand, that we need to understand as we launch into this passage, is that those 70 sabbatical years actually cover 77-year periods of time. Since a sabbatical year came every seventh year, they had missed 70 of them. 70 times 7 is actually 490 years. The 70-year penalty was based on 490 years of previous disobedience. In other words, every seven years for 70 times 7, Israel had missed the sabbatical year. Seven years would come, seven years would go, another seven years. And this had gone on for a period of 490 years. Now, the reason why this is so important to this particular context is because Daniel 9.24 opens with the words 70 weeks or literally 70 sevens, or in Hebrew, 70 units of seven. If we put this into this context of 70 years, 70 misses of the sabbatical years, the 70 times seven, the most obvious interpretation that the 70 sevens equal 490 years, this becomes critical. You may be in total disobedience right now. Your rebellion may be seven hours old. Your rebellion may be seven days old. Your rebellion may be seven weeks old, seven years old, or 70 years old. You can know this. There is coming a day when judgment will come in view of the rebellion. The admonition of the scripture is that God keeps the record, so deal with sin. Deal with it now before the judgment comes. Just because judgment doesn't come immediately does not mean it will not come eventually. Now, before we go down through the context, I want to make nine observations that will give us understanding of this. First of all, the entire time period for all events to occur is a time period called 70 units of seven. God says, my program with Israel is going to be finished in a time frame of 490 years. Secondly, the entire prophecy is decreed by God specifically concerning Daniel's people and Daniel's holy city. Notice verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city. This is a reference to Daniel's people Israel. It's a reference to the holy city Jerusalem. This is a major difference than the other prophecies in the book of Daniel which referred to Gentile nations. This one has direct reference to the Jews, the nation Israel, and this one has direct reference to Jerusalem. This immediately leads us to conclude that the church has nothing whatsoever to do with the prophecy being discussed in this context. This is Daniel's people and Daniel's city. Dr. Lewis Talbot, who founded Talbot Theological Seminary, was on a train one time traveling out west and it came to an abrupt stop and he asked the conductor why the train stopped and the conductor said well we've stopped because we're on a sidetrack the express is coming through and we need to let them get through the church age is like a sidetrack the express program of God is with the nation Israel We've been stopped right now in the age of grace. We're ultimately going to allow this major prophetic plan to go right on through. And of course, the end of this age will be the rapture of the church. Now, as we will see, this prophecy is concerned with three main deliverances. 
Israel will be delivered from Babylon in order to go back to Jerusalem. That's what Daniel wanted. He wanted Israel to get out of the Babylonian captivity so she could go back to Jerusalem and worship God. But there's another deliverance that's discussed here. One day Israel will be delivered from sin and she will have an everlasting righteousness as the nation of God is a righteous nation of God. And there's another deliverance that's discussed in this context. Israel will be delivered from terrible oppression and destruction. There apparently is a time of terrible trouble that's going to come to the nation Israel, and the text says that one day she'll be delivered from it. So this is important when it comes to prophetic truth. Now the third observation is the prophecy is specifically decreed for six stated purposes. The purposes are, verse 24, finish the transgression, make an end of sin, make atonement for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up visions and prophecy, and anoint the most holy. Now it's quite obvious that this has not been fulfilled yet. We do not live in righteous bliss here in this earth. This has not been fulfilled in Daniel's day. It wasn't fulfilled in Jesus' day, and it's certainly not fulfilled in our day. Dr. Donald Campbell said, history knows no such age where all of these prophecies have been fulfilled. Now, we may suggest that there is a portion of them that perhaps have been somewhat fulfilled. Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost believed the first three purposes, finish transgression, make an end of sin, and make atonement for iniquity, have to do with the sacrifice of Christ. And the last three, to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up the vision, seal up prophecy, and anoint the most holy, have to do with the reign of Jesus Christ. In his scheme of things, the first three have to do with Christ and what he accomplished at his first coming. And the last three on the list have to do with what Christ will accomplish at his second coming. But regardless, the prophecy will ultimately feature six specifically stated things that will be fulfilled. Now the fourth observation is there is a specified mathematical breakdown of the 70 units of seven in verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks it will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. First, you have one unit of seven units of seven that's singled out apart from the others. And that would equal 49 years, seven times seven. It is interesting that it took 49 years to rebuild the public square and moat in its entirety. The second mathematical breakdown is there are 62 units of seven that are connected to that first unit, which gives us some specific additional detail that would lead to the coming of Jesus Christ. So you have 49 years, and then you have 62 sevens, which is 434 years. And then you have one final unit of seven, which shows up in verse 27, in which there's a firm covenant made for a week. That's the final unit of seven. And then in the middle of that week, the covenant is broken, and there is terrible tribulation. So the 70 units of seven may be legitimately viewed. You have 69 units that are discussed in verses 25 and 26. And then you have the 70th unit that's discussed in verse 27. Now, if we take each one of these units to represent seven years, which we've proved that is the most logical interpretation of the context, the first 69 units represent 483 years, which means there's still one more seven-year period of time left out there somewhere that has not been fulfilled yet. If it's 483 years from the time a decree to rebuild the city till the coming of the Messiah and he'll be cut off, there's still one more seven-year period out there somewhere to happen in the future, which is yet to occur. Now the fifth observation is that the clock starts when a decree is issued to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Now, I want to point out something to you in verse 25. 
so that you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem with plaza and moat. Notice that at the end of verse 25. This is critical because we're talking here about a decree that would enable this to be a complete rebuilding of the temple, which would include the rebuilding of the plaza and the moat. This isn't just talking about rebuilding Jerusalem anyway, putting up a couple walls. It's not talking about just building the temple. This is talking about a complete rebuilding. The prophetic clock starts in this prophecy when there is a command given to completely rebuild and restore the city to its original condition, that's what starts the prophetic clock. Furthermore, this clock did not actually start with this specific decree until about 94 years after the prophecy, almost 100 years later. In other words, Daniel and his people did get out of captivity from Babylon. They were released after 70 years. However, that decree which starts the prophetic clock, didn't start until about 94 years later when that decree was given. Now the sixth observation is the end of the first unit of seven, and 62 units of seven will be marked by the appearance of the Messiah on earth as Prince of Israel. Now notice what we read in verse 25. So that you know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. We may conclude that at the end of the first 69 units, that's 483 years, that's 69 times 7, 483 years, there would feature an appearance of the Messiah apparently in Jerusalem. From the time that the edict was issued to rebuild the city in all of its grandeur, there was going to be a 483-year gap, and then the prediction is the Messiah will show up in Jerusalem. That brings us to the seventh observation. At a later time in the same period of 69 units, the Messiah will be cut off, leaving one more unit of seven yet to be accomplished. That's what we read in verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Sometime after, 483 years after the edict was issued to rebuild the city, the Messiah would be cut off. So now we still have one seven-year unit left there that has to come into play at some point in time to finish the program with the nation Israel. Which brings us to the eighth observation. After the Messiah has been introduced and cut off, there's one unit of seven left in which another individual will make a firm covenant with Israel. Notice verse 27. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week. There's your last week. There's your last seven years. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we will show that this individual is none other than the Antichrist. And he's going to make a firm covenant with Israel for one week. This is why they're called in verse 26, the people of the prince who is to come. This is why there must be a revival of the Roman Empire, because as we'll show you, the people who ultimately destroyed the city, the people who ultimately destroyed the temple, were none other than the Romans, and they're a part of his people. That's what the text says. There's going to come one who will make a covenant treaty with Israel, who will step into history, who is going to be a reviver of the Roman Empire. And he's going to make this peace treaty with Israel that's going to last for three and a half years. Which brings us to the ninth observation. In the middle of the final unit of seven, or three and a half years, after making the covenant with Israel, he will break his covenant and will commit abominations which will bring about complete destruction. Now here's what you have. This is just a general overview and then we're going to tackle the four verses. The way the section breaks down is you have an overview of the prophecy given in verse 24. 
The first 69 units of seven are described in verse 25. The events between the 69th and the 70th seven are described in verse 26. And you have the 70th seven that's described in verse 24. Now there are four main parts to the prophecy I want you to see as we go right through the text. Number one, you have the overall prediction of the prophecy, verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish things. Now, the English word weeks in Hebrew is actually the plural of the word for seven. Therefore, it can be translated 70 units of seven or 70 sevens. The word does not say whether we're talking about seven days, seven months, or seven weeks. But as Dr. Wolverd said, the only system of interpretation that gives a literal sense to this prophecy, the only one actually, in my opinion, that makes sense of the context is to regard these time units as prophetic years of 360 days each. The 70 times 7 is 490 years, which clock begins with a commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, this is a major plan that's focused on Israel. Because ultimately, this plan that kicks into place when there's this edict given to rebuild the city features six purposes. First of all, to finish the transgression. In other words, one day in this entire 70-year scheme of things, 70-year plan, 70 times 7 plan, there will be a finishing of the end of Israel's transgression. It will end Israel's sin problem. It will make atonement for iniquity. It will be a program that will ultimately take away the sin of Israel, both nationally and individually. She will one day be in her land. She will be seen as the righteous nation of God. Now, you have to remember when Jesus Christ came to Israel the first time, she didn't think she had a sin problem. And when John, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, went to Israel and said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, she didn't think she needed to repent of everything. And as a result of that, Jesus came to his own as no one received him not. But that doesn't stop the plan of God for Israel. He said, There is coming a day in which I'm going to end Israel's transgression. I'll end her sin problem. I'm going to take away her sin as a nation. The fourth purpose is I'm going to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's a promise that one day in the program of God, there's going to be a righteousness on earth that will never depart. He's also going to seal up the vision and prophecy. The 77's program will put an end to all prophetic revelation. There'll be no more need for any instruction. Once this program ends, it will fulfill all covenantal promises and anoint the most holy. Now, when the text says that they will anoint the most holy, it means that there will be, I believe, both a holy, righteous king and temple that will be existing, and this will exist, and he will reign from this temple as righteous king. So what's predicted in Daniel 9.24 is that there is a finale coming of all the biblical promises pertaining to the nation Israel. She will have her land, the land that she doesn't have a fraction of today. She will be viewed as the people of God, as the nation of God. She will have a righteousness that will be inscribed on her heart. The people of Israel will have a righteousness in them. It will be put there by God. That's the overall prediction of the prophecy. Now the second part is the events of the first 69 sevens. Verse 25 says, So that you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Now the question arises, when does the clock start? The critical thing to see from the verse is it begins when a decree is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. 
The Hebrew words restore and rebuild and plaza and moat are words that would indicate we're talking here about a complete rebuilding to former condition. We're talking about rebuilding the city and the temple to an area that reflects the glory of God. That actual decree was not given for nearly 100 years from the time Daniel received the vision. Now when you crawl through the Old Testament, there are four different decrees that are given concerning the rebuilding of things that pertain to Jerusalem. First of all, there is the decree of Cyrus, which he issued in 538 B.C. to rebuild the temple. That is recorded for you in 2 Chronicles 36 and Ezra chapter 1. Then there's the second decree of Darius, which is given, which confirms the decree of Cyrus. It's recorded in Ezra 6, which he gave in 518 to 519 B.C. The third decree that is connected to Jerusalem is there's a decree of Artaxerxes in 457 B.C., which gave Ezra permission to return to Jerusalem and restore the house of God. That's recorded in Ezra 7. But it's the fourth decree that becomes so critical. The fourth decree was a decree of Artaxerxes given to Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And the only decree that fits what's recorded here, that you can rebuild the city and bring it back to its total grandeur, is the one that is predicted, the fourth one, given to Nehemiah to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And this is the one that fits this prediction of Daniel. It's the one that was given by King Artaxerxes in 445 and 444 B.C. Now, here's what the prediction is. The prediction is, from the time that decree is issued, the Messiah will come into Jerusalem 69 seven or units of sevens later. If you compute this, to years and days, and you use Jewish calendar, which features 360 days a year, this computes into 483 years and 173,880 days. So this is a very specific prediction. The prediction is that 173,880 days after a decree is given to rebuild Jerusalem in its entirety, the Messiah would make an appearance in his city, Jerusalem. In other words, 483 years from the day this edict is issued, the Messiah would show up in Jerusalem. That's why when Jesus Christ got there and nobody could even figure out who he was, he said, can't you discern the time? Dr. Harold Horner of Dallas Seminary did the math on 360 prophetic days in a year and concluded that the exact day that Christ had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, was the exact fulfillment of these precise numbers. In fact, he specifically says that Christ had his triumphal entry on March 30th, A.D. 33. Sir Robert Anderson and Elva McLean, who also did the math on this, conclude precisely the same thing. This is an amazing prediction, that he would come into his city on exactly a specific day after this decree was issued. The third part is the events between the 69th seven and the 70th seven. Now notice verse 26. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. I want you to notice that after the Messiah is introduced in a rebuilt city, after he comes to the city, he would be cut off and have nothing. Those words cut off are often used to describe one that's being cut off from God's people, one who suffers a violent death. Isaiah predicted that this one would be cut off from the land of the living. 
And the Hebrew words have nothing mean that the Messiah will not have what he should have had. He will not have had what should have been his. Now keep in mind that eventually the Messiah is going to finish sin. Eventually the Messiah is going to reign in total righteousness. But apparently before that happens, he's going to be cut off. That is why Jesus wept when he saw Jerusalem. No one apparently had figured out the details of the specific prophecy that had been laid out in Daniel. They should have recognized this is the exact day he was due to come. That group of religious leaders who gave themselves to studying the Old Testament didn't know the Old Testament. Even though they all had copies of those Old Testament scriptures, apparently they couldn't figure out what to do with it. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus Christ a few days after he arrived in Jerusalem. He was nailed to a cross and cut off from life. He certainly was not given the royal welcoming that he should have had. He died. He'd been stripped of his clothing while he was hanging on the cross. You could literally say he had nothing. What this chronologically means is he'd be cut off and there's going to be some interval of time which would occur between the 69th 7 and the final 70th 7 and during that interval of time there'd be some bad things that would happen to Israel. During that interval of time, verse 26 informs us that the city and temple would be destroyed and there would be terrible destruction that would ultimately occur to the nation Israel from a war and a flood of persecution. And ladies and gentlemen, in less than 40 years after Christ was cut off by the cross, that is precisely what happened. In A.D. 70, a terrible flood of persecution literally hit Jerusalem and the temple. Titus Vespasian led four Roman legions to attack and destroy the Jews in Jerusalem. He killed, according to one account, over a million Jewish people. And they totally destroyed the temple. It's interesting that the soldiers searched for gold and literally overturned stones of the temple, something Jesus specifically predicted would happen to the temple. And what followed for the nation Israel after that destruction of Jerusalem has been one war followed by another. One Gentile power followed by another Gentile power has controlled that land until 1948. And that's when Great Britain said, there's supposed to be a land here for Israel. Let's authorize her to go back to that land, which tells us that final seven-year unit must be very close. Which brings us to the fourth part, the final 70 of seven, which will lead to the end, verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. The last seven-year period will begin with a prince making a covenant with Israel. There's a lot of talk about peace in the Middle East. There is coming a temporary peace treaty and there will be a temporary peace settlement in the Middle East which will be established by the Antichrist. I don't believe you're going to see too many politicians be able to figure that mess out but there is one who will. The Antichrist will negotiate a peace settlement in the Middle East. He's going to somehow be able to figure it all out. He'll put a temporary band-aid on the Arab-Israeli conflict 
It's interesting that Orthodox Jews believe that the temple cannot be built until the Messiah comes, but it's going to be the false Messiah, the false Christ, the Antichrist, who will actually see to it that that temple is going to be rebuilt. He's the one who will enable Israel to reestablish worship in Jerusalem. He will appear to be her friend. This Antichrist will surface as one who's going to tell the whole world he wants peace, but in the middle of the seven-year period. Three and a half years into the tribulation, there will come what is called Jacob's trouble. He will put an end to the sacrifices in Jerusalem that he authorized. He will demand that he be worshipped in the temple as God. And that's what Jesus said was the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet. But then his own end will come, that which has been decreed about him, And he, along with the false prophet, will be cast into the lake of fire when Christ returns. Now how close are we to this final 70th week? I don't know. But there are some interesting things that are happening right now, ladies and gentlemen, that would suggest we're very near. Very near the program of God going back to Israel. First of all, there is a demonic delusion that is infiltrating the churches. Paul predicts as the church age nears its conclusion, there will be a delusion that will infiltrate churches that's pulling people away from the truth. Last Wednesday night, Pastor Bacher, who was an interim man here, happened to be with us. He shared with all of us at prayer meeting that night that he's now in a church in Alaska where they've taken the pulpit away. They don't sing hymns anymore. These are people who are going to church thinking they're religious, but they're not carefully studying the scriptures anymore. There's this delusion that's taking place all over. That would indicate we're nearing the end. We can't deny that homosexuality is on the rise. If you can even find a program anymore where it's a guy chasing a girl, it's a pretty good program almost. Because that isn't the way it's working anymore. You know, Jesus predicted that just before he comes, it'll be like it was in the days of Lot. You can't deny that there are earthquakes and hurricanes and mudslides threatening the world like never before. It's been said there's never been a disaster in the United States ever in history like that which hit the Gulf Coast. You can't deny this. This is reality. Oil prices are escalating. Economic instability. Every time you hear about job or you read about a company, it's trying to eliminate jobs, not help people find more work and work harder. That's not the goal anymore. When you add that package up and you realize that these things really won't happen in vast array until the tribulation period, we must be foolish not to think there are clouds forming before the storm. That final seven-year gap must be very close. There are some practical lessons we can learn from this text in Daniel. Number one, God fulfills prophecy literally. What he says is going to happen literally will happen. God has not forgot about Israel. If you travel all around this world, you'll duck into various places where there are pockets of Jewish people. There are Russian Jews, German Jews, 
Polish Jews, American Jews, and you wonder, does God still have an agenda for them? Is there a time when one day they could be in the land and enjoy all the things that God promised would happen for Israel? You bet there's coming a day. God fulfills his prophecy literally. Secondly, God's prophetic program for Israel and Gentiles will end with the return of Jesus Christ. Listen, we will all one day face the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we do in the meantime as we're waiting for this rapture to occur that ends this age? We do what Daniel did. We faithfully study the word of God. We're faithful people of prayer. We try to know the scriptures like Daniel was at a deep level, trying to understand everything he could. He was even picking out numbers and trying to decipher that. That's the passion we want for the scriptures as we wait for the return of the Lord. And finally, Jesus Christ is the only one who's able to finish the sin issue for every person. You know, there's a saying that says, Jesus was cut off by man, but he was also cut off for man. You see, the reason why he allowed himself to go through that was so that every person could believe on the Lord and be saved. Now, we're living in the age of grace. This is a marvelous time to get right with the Lord through faith in Christ. And as we near its end, and we'd have to be a fool not to look at what's going on in the world and say, we're not nearing its end. We are. We need to be people who are really focused on the word in a relationship with the Lord. And if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you do that today. May we pray. If you're here this morning and you've not trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, right now in the privacy of this moment, you pray something like this, God, I'm a sinner. I thank you that Jesus Christ died for me, and right now I'm placing my faith in him. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. We know that you are going to fulfill prophecy literally. That's what you've done in times past. That's what you're going to do in times future. We know, Lord, that you have said you're going to catch us up in the air to meet you. And just as you literally came into Jerusalem, that's literally what you're going to do. I pray that as we wait for that blessed moment, you would work in our minds and hearts. Give us a Daniel-type passion to know every nuance of your word and also to apply it to our own individual lives. And for that, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.